Hello, everyone, and welcome to Journey to Success Radio, a show featuring people and companies who are making a positive contribution to the world. This show will help you learn how to apply success principles in every area of your life so that you can make the most out of your skills and talents and accomplish more of your goals. To find out more about the show, please visit www.journeytosuccessradio.com. Thank you for joining us today on Journey to Success Radio. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I happen to be the founder of Journey to Success Radio. I'm also the world's most well-known Napoleon Hill Foundation certified instructor and a resiliency expert. And uh, you'll be excited about today's interview. Of the over 400 interviews we've done on Journey to Success Radio, Today's guest has the most listens of all of them. And today's co-host was the host for that show. <laughs> so my favorite co-host and one of the publishing team of Journeys to Success, uh, our international best-selling book series, Brad Zalas. Brad, introduce yourself and then introduce this amazing guest of ours today. You got it, Tom. Thank you so much. I'm blushing a little bit. Your, your favorite co-host. Thank you. Uh, for those of you listening, my name is Brad Zalas, and I help co- corporations uh, with their leadership lessons for the 21st century, mainly how to manage millennials, and uh, I'm also the uh, award-winning author of Liquid Leadership. And today's guest, I, I just uh, I love him. I think he's a great person, good friend. I, I feel blessed to call him uh, part of my uh entourage uh so to speak and i I hope he feels the same way we're gonna have bob berg on today and i'm just gonna introduce some of the things that he's doing because this is a day and age i mean tom you can agree and those of you who are listening in this is an age where things are radically shifting and people seem to be angry all the time uh wouldn't you agree oh (laughs) definitely so grab a pen and a piece of paper because we're going to be digging in on some major, major stories and, and ideas and strategies. So there's a major problem in the world today. It's not people disagreeing with one another. It's that they cannot disagree agreeably with civility and most importantly, per- persuasively. And according to Bob Berg, that simply need not be the case. Bob says, you can get the results you want while making the other person feel genuinely good about themselves, about the situation, and about you. Whether between family members and friends, employers and employees, politicians, political pundits, and of course, tens of millions of people on social media, today's discussions are no longer discussions, but rather fueled up, hate-filled, vitriol-spilling diatribes and personal insults. The result? No minds are being changed, but rather they remain stuck in the echo chambers of their already closely held beliefs. Worse, friends are becoming enemies. Discourse has shut down, understanding and acceptance is not being reached, and people feel downright lousy about it. Is this the way, any way to communicate? Is this any way to live? Fortunately, the authors of the best-selling Go-Giver series, Bob Berg and John David Mann, have responded to this unfortunate situation and are back the long-awaited new parable. Today we have Bob on, Bob Berg, and they've been, they've been doing this for over seven years now, almost a decade, 
Uh, please welcome to the show, Mr. Bob Berg. Hey, Bob. Hey, Tom and Brad, two of my favorite people. Great to be back. <laughs> All right. Well, we don't have a lot of time, and we know how valuable your time is, Bob. So I'm going to fire away with the first question here. So influence. We hear a lot about the word in many different forms and uh, formats, but what is influence really? Tell us what it is. Well, on a very, very basic level, influence is simply the ability to move a person or persons to a desired action, usually within the context of a specific goal. That's its definition, but I don't believe that that's its substance or, or its essence. The essence of influence is pull. Uh, pull as opposed to push, as in, uh, you know, how far can you push a rope? And, you know, we all know the answer is not very far, at least not very fast or very, very effectively, which is why great influencers don't, don't do that. You, you rarely hear someone say, wow, that Patricia or that Steve, he is so influential. He has a lot of push with people. No, boy, he sure is pushy. Man, we'll just follow him anywhere. No, he has. <laughs> has a lot of pull and that's what it is great influencers attract people first to themselves and only then to their ideas and they do this again not through pushing themselves pushing their ideas pushing their will being pushy but but through through pull which is a form of power as opposed to the opposite which is force hey you know we see all the time on, let's just take social media, for instance, okay, Facebook or Twitter, and you've seen someone post or someone tweet, you and people like you are what's ruining this country. You are a horrible, horrible, <laughs> dirt-sucking human being, right? Now, how often does the, does the target of that respond by, by writing back, wow, you are right. I hadn't thought about it like that before. In fact, now that you bring it up and put it that way, I am renouncing all of my long, long held beliefs and I'm now on your side. That doesn't happen. And it's not going to happen. In fact, the more you insult someone, the less you're influencing them and the more you are causing them to stick with their long held beliefs. Right. Right. <laughs> It's like they're being entrenched, you know. The more you yell at people, the more they they dig in, you know. And right. It's just a it's a natural way of doing it. If you tell me I'm wrong about something, I might sit back and go, "Hmm, maybe you got me on that," or maybe I'm most likely I'm going to turn around and just go, "Look, buddy, look how you know." Right. So, Bob, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. Uh, uh, it, this sounds like some sort of clever manipulation or mind game or some sort of a keto you're, uh, keto you're playing with others in order to get what you want. But, but explain a little bit about that, Bob. It's not really manipulation. It's, it's just it's a sense of beingness, I would say. Oh, yeah, it's not manipulation at all. I mean, someone could do that, but we highly uh, suggest not doing it that way. Not only is it morally repugnant to, repugnant to manipulate someone, it's just the results are not going to be as good and they're certainly not going to be sustainable. You know, when you think about influence, again, being the ability to move a person to action, um, hey, you know, persuasion, which is positive and manipulation, which is negative, they're both forms of influence. They can mm -hmm. be used for good. They can be used for evil, right? Uh, yes. So the, the, the biggest part is, and I, in fact, I would say that persuasion and manipulation 
are cousins, but one's the good cousin and one's the evil cousin. Hmm. Uh, manipulation's the evil cousin. The, the manip- and I, I remember reading this in a great book by um, uh, Paul Sweats. It was written in 1987 called The Art of Talking so that people will listen, though it was much more about listening than talking. And I remember he gave this great explanation. He said, manipulation aims at control, not cooperation. It does not consider the good of the other party. It results in a win-lose situation. The persuader, in, in complete opposition to this, the persuader always treats people as responsible, self-directing individuals. As a result, people respond better. And here's the thing. A manipulator may not want necessarily to harm you, but if that's what it takes to get their way, they'll do it. With a persuader, and this is key, with a persuader, that could never happen because for a persuader to feel good about the situation, they've got to know that you came out ahead as well and that you feel good about it. So, yeah, there's a huge difference in intent. Although, again, like any principle, gravity is a good thing. You know, gravity is a principle. It's good when it keeps us from floating aimlessly up into space. It's bad if you walk off a seven-story building. So (laughs) what we want to do is influence others, but we do it through positive persuasion. Nice, nice. A reminder to our listeners, uh, of course, if you want to find out more about Bob, you go to his website, and that's uh, berg.com, and uh, you'll find out all about Bob there, and of course, his new book, and I imagine when you buy it from Bob's website, you're probably going to get some free gifts. And Hey, oh, Tom, can, can I suggest, and I apologize for interrupting, can yeah. I suggest, instead of the berg.com, which they could also go to, if they could go to thegogiver.com. That actually is where we have the information on the new book and the bonuses they can get if they'd like. Silly me, thegogiver.com. That's my fault. <laughs> thegogiver.com. So now uh, everybody get your pens handy because this is where you really uh, are going to get uh, some valuable insight. Take us through, Bob, the five secrets of genuine or ultimate influence. Well, the first is master your emotions. This is really where it begins, because un- unless we're in control of our own emotions, uh, you know, we're, we're not even then in a position to take a potentially negative situation or person and turn it into a win for everyone involved. And we know, while we know that the person who can control their own emotions always, uh, you know, is, is in a, a, a good position to deal effectively with others. The fact is we're human beings. And because of that, and because of the fact that we're emotionally run driven people, it's easy to kind of, when someone says or does something that pushes our buttons and, you know, we cause ourselves to be, feel whether it's disappointed or frustrated or helpless or angry, right? Right. And, you know, we're, we're not, we become the, at that point part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So the first thing mm-hmm. is to master our emotions. Now, what's important about that, though, is to understand when we say this, master your emotions, we're not saying to lose your emotions or forego your emotions. By all means, emotions are a wonderful part of life. They make life worth living. They bring us joy and pleasure. No, we're just saying make sure you're the master of your emotions as opposed to your emotions being the master of you. Or as one of my great friends, the great leadership authority, Dandi Skumachi, puts it, by all means, take your emotions along for the ride, but make sure you are driving the car. And, and that's wow. really the key. 
another great way to look at it, and one of the mentors, the judge, tells, tells one of the protégés, Jackson, this in the book, she says, you know, people say, well, should I only make my emotions based on logic? Well, that's also not realistic because we are emotional people and our emotions should be part of it. They just shouldn't be the driving factor. She says, think of your emotions as your, your if you're a corporation, think of your emotions as your board of directors, but think of your logic as the CEO. By all means, consider the advice of your board of directors, the emotions, but your logic, the CEO, that has got to be the decision maker. Wow. Nice. I hope you wrote that down. (laughs) Uh, The next one, number two, is to step into the other person's shoes. And this isn't always so easy to do because the fact is we, most of us have different size feet. Uh, In other words, we all come from our own way of seeing the world, different belief systems, different paradigms. Uh, We all, you know, have, have belief systems based on our upbringing, environment, schooling, news media, television, all these different, different, different things. And uh, we tend to have our, our belief systems pretty much etched in stone by the time we're little more than toddlers. And we grow up um, being run by what I call our unconscious operating system. Right? We're not even aware of the fact that we're operating this way. Well, not only are we so is this other person with whom we're about to have a <laughs> conversation or transaction. So you've got two different people looking at the world the same way, the, the different ways, each thinking the person's seeing it through their lens mm-hmm. where conflict takes place. So what we need to do when I say step into the other person's shoes is not necessarily understand their belief system because they probably don't even understand it. So how are we supposed to? But it's just becoming aware that the two of you are coming from two different belief systems. And then when you do that, now you're creating the context for a a winning conversation and transaction for mutual respect. That's Uh, deep. That's all I can say. (laughs) (laughs) It's very deep. Yeah, because I mean, how many of us, and sorry to interrupt, I know you're in the flow here, but how many of us have friends that you've been friends with for 20 years and suddenly you find out they have this crazy idea and you thought you had the same ideas, right. the same values. So that's deep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you. No, my pleasure. Number, number three is to set the frame. And, and this is so important, to set the proper frame. A frame is a foundation. It, it's, it's the foundation from which everything else is going to transact. And I may have shared the story with you before. It's probably my favorite explanation story of a frame. Um, and it, it was when I was in a, a, a Dunkin' Donuts. Um, and, uh, Tom, we don't have uh, uh, Tim, Hortons. Tim Hortons down here like you have up there. <laughs> Whenever I get to speak in Canada, but down here, Dunkin' Donuts is is the place I go for for coffee and an occasional donut, you know. But uh, but I was I was in one of the Dunkin' Donuts stores, and there was this little boy, little toddler, probably two two and a half years old, and he was running around the uh, the, the store, and his parents called him back over to the table, and as he started to to walk back over, he fell, you know, he he took a spill on the on the floor. Now he didn't hurt himself; that was obvious. But it was also obvious that he was shocked. He was very surprised. He did not expect that to happen. So what did he do? 
He immediately looked at his parents, the two people he trusts most in the world, to get their take on it, to get their interpretation of the event, right? And I truly believe that had the parents gotten panicky and upset and, oh, no, are you, are you okay? I think he would have started to cry. But what they did is they handled it beautifully. Uh, they walked over and they smiled and they applauded and they laughed. And said, oh, that looked like so much fun. What a good trick. And he immediately began to laugh. Now, what the parents did, what the mom and dad did, is they set a productive frame from which he could operate. Okay? And that's what we can do whenever we're in a conversation with someone. We can, we can set that frame of, of friendship. We can set that frame of, of, uh, of, of, of uh, allies. Now, we also sometimes have to reset a frame. So what if someone says, well, I can't believe you agree with that policy. I think that's a horrible thing, and you must be a horrible person to believe that way. Well, you could that that set a frame right there, right? A frame of anger, a frame of accusation, a frame of and if you reacted to that, so well, I think you're blah blah blah. That does nothing but buy into that person's premise, that person's frame. So what if instead you shifted the frame by saying, um, "Well, I admire your passion for your beliefs. Um, like you, I want to live in a world in which everyone is able to blah blah blah. You know, whatever it is, the point being." I think our only disagreement is with the proper way to get there. Boom. Wow. Now you reset the frame from just being totally argumentative and, you know, uh, rancorous and so forth to now two people who are just looking for a common solution. And let me take this a step further. Even if that person remains in their, their anger frame, okay? Remember, in these online conversations, there's always lots and lots of people listening in. And right. so when they're hearing the two of you, you know, some people, if they are just totally on the way on the left or way on the right, they're probably not going to change. But most people are somewhere in the middle or leaning toward one side, and they're much more likely to take seriously and be influenced by that person who seems to be polite and that person who is tactful and kind and that person who can make their point in a way that they don't insult the other person. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yes. And this is where influence happens. Wow. That phrase is pretty powerful. Oh, thank you. And so uh, number four is uh, communicate with tact and empathy. <laughs> and that says that the way we speak to people and the way we communicate with people is in such a way that rather than they're having to be defensive uh, toward us and resistant to our ideas, we're communicating in such a way that they feel very comfortable with us and they might be more open to our ideas or at least engaging in the conversation, engaging in dialogue. Empathy, which is really a way of trying to understand how that person feels, it's different from just putting ourselves in the other person's shoes. That's more logical. That's more trying to, to figure out with our head where this person's coming from. Empathy is really a feeling of resonance with another person. It's maybe not understanding how they feel, because we don't necessarily understand how they feel. We're not them. But it's understanding that they're feeling something and that this something might be distressful or uncomfortable for them, and they're with them to work through it. Right. Nice. And, uh, and then number five is simply let go of having to be right. Uh, 
which doesn't mean that you don't want to be right. It doesn't mean you're not going to try to make your case. Absolutely not. It means that we're not attached to the idea. It means that our, our sense of happiness, our sense of inner peace and well-being is not dependent upon our being right or winning an argument. And what that actually does is it not, not only does it allow us to become more wise because we truly are listening with the intent to understand instead of having to defend a position, but it brings down the defenses of the other person and it allows right. that person to now go more into that mindset. So now, so the, the paradox is the, the less attached you are to having to be right, the more likely you probably are right and can communicate that, that correctness in a way that will be accepted. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I, hope every, I hope everybody listening in is taking notes because these are very powerful strategies to use uh, in business, uh, in your relationships. In, in, in all walks of life. I mean, this is very, very powerful. Thank you, Bob, for sharing that. My now, you claim there's one sentence, though, <laughs> that is guaranteed to prevent misunderstandings. misunderstandings. Now, that, this sounds way too good to be true. <laughs> right. I want that one. Well, let's that, go back then to belief systems, because remember we were talking about, and this is putting yourself in the other person's shoes, understanding you're coming from two different belief systems. This is simply understanding that, that like you were saying, Brad, that you might have a friend who you see things from two different angles that you didn't even realize you were. Let's take something, uh, let's take something on the job, okay? You're, you're a member of a, uh, a, a four-member team, and the... The uh, supervisor says, the team leader says, hey, there's been a change on this, pro on this project. The, uh, uh, the client called and said, they need this now moved up. They need it done as soon as possible. Okay. But everybody says, okay, great. So Wednesday afternoon at five o'clock comes, the team leader calls everybody together and says, okay, where's, the, where, where's the, your project? Only one of them has it done. The others don't. He said, I said it needed to be done as soon as possible. Where is it? Well, here's the problem. What does as soon as possible mean? Now, to him, it meant Wednesday afternoon by 5 o'clock. To one of the people on the team who had it done, as soon as possible means you drop everything else, you do it now. Another person on the team, as soon as possible means you get it done and you start working on it as soon as you've completed your other project. That was from their former team. That's what that meant. The other person, as soon as possible, they came from another team in which you just ignored it because it didn't matter. So you've got four different people who heard as soon as possible and all four people had a different understanding of what it meant. So here's how you make sure that you know what it means. When this person said, when the, the boss says, uh, we hear from, heard from a client, there's a change, we need this project done as soon as possible. You say, as one of the team members, you say, Dave or, or Patty, just for my own clarification, when you say as soon as possible, is there a specific day or time you're thinking of? And then he says, well, yeah, it needs to be done, at when, done by, handed in Wednesday at five o'clock. Okay. Now, of course, you might say, well, why didn't he just say that in the first place? Because some people just aren't 
really effective communicators. But that's why the onus is always on us to make sure that we all understand. Okay. So, um, so what you would say to a person is just for my own clarification, because that's tactful. Okay. It doesn't make the other person feel defensive. Just my own clarification. When you say X, what the other person just said, is there a, and then, you know, blank, whatever it is. You do that and you will avoid miscommunications 99.9% of the time for the rest of your life. Wow. Okay. I'm using that with my wife. <laughs> and you start that with, honey, if I may ask. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> where, right. Where, where do you really want to go eat is not <laughs> the kind of question you ask. Yeah, when you say where do you would want. <laughs> Women want to strangle us when we say those kind of things because in their language, it's completely different. Uh, yeah. Right. My wife is always like, aren't, aren't you going to stop there to eat? She's the one who's hungry, but she wants to know if I'm going to stop there to eat. So you have to learn. Thanks, Bob. <laughs> hey, Bob. <laughs> so, what, about, uh, what about, uh, and I don't know how it happens, but we've all seen it. There's many very successful people who we see who seem to thrive because of their absolute rudeness. Yeah, you know, Tom, it's a great question. And I, I think what, what happens first is this. On a, in a general sense, two things. One is there are different ways to be successful. And people who are, as, as Wallace D. Waddles uh, used to call it, who live on the competitive plane instead of the creative plane, some people do that so well, they can actually thrive that way, at least in one area of their life. Uh, a lot of times, people who are rude and obnoxious and still manage to get their way and do well financially, first, they have to work three times as hard as other people who are able to get it by being able to influence others in a genuinely uh, uh, kind and ethical way. But a lot of times other areas of their life are not so happy and, and, uh, and well, but here's the other thing too. A lot of times someone who is, is let's say rude in the way they do things, they have succeeded in spite of that, not because of it. And I think sometimes we, we make the mistake of, of human beings as, uh, seeing causality when there's really simply correlation. Okay. Someone who's rude and is also financially successful is not necessarily that way because they're rude. <laughs> that right. be, they are really good in other areas, and that allowed them to get to that uh, get to that point. It's a lot easier and faster to be successful when you are able to influence others in a way that taps into other people's needs, wants, and desires. As Dale Carnegie uh, said so famously in his 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 um, classic, how to win friends and influence people. Ultimately, people do things for their reasons, not our reasons. Right. Uh, you know, uh, Bob, you, you touched on some points there. Uh, Rena DeLevy, I don't know if you know who she is, but she did this TED Talk. Uh, we shared the stage together when we did the TEDx Terrytown. Wow. She talked about compassionate management. And, it, and it, it's one of these things that I always uh, kind of resonate with because we have the industrial age model still in place. You yell at people, you scream at them, you have deadlines and everything. And it works or it appears to work 
simply because we get productivity done and we, we reach our goals and wow, look at us, we hit our sales numbers. But they find out that this is burning people out. It's destroying them. And it's your best talent leaves. Sure. It's not sustainable at all because people leave. So Rena uh, was talking about this thing called compassionate management, which she discovered by accident when she decided to just start treating people better, start looking at them as individuals who are contributors. And she found out this incredible surprise. And this is something that you know leads into what we're going to ask next. But it's like people began to give 100% of themselves over to the project rather than just meeting the numbers. It was a crazy, crazy thing that happened, and she discovered it by accident. And, you know, this leads us into this, everything we're talking about today, we see people engaged in these vicious political debates. Uh, and we've already set the tone where people are back and forth and misunderstanding each other. But what should our listeners who participate in these discussions really keep in mind, Bob? Well, you know, as we were talking about some of the things that we can do in order to have more productive and more persuasive conversations, it's realizing that it's not just the other person who you're engaging in because there are many other people listening. There are many other people lurking. And the way you communicate is going to end up touching the lives of many more people than you think. You're setting an example for them. And you're also becoming more and more influential as you're able to always keep this in mind. So <laughs> take yeah. the responsibility, take on the responsibility of, of treating. Remember, and this is, I think, very, very important, tact should never be confused with compromise, okay? We can always speak tactfully and respectfully to other people without compromising our values. Wow. Wow. Mm. That's the way to do it. That's phenomenal. <laughs> nice. As a Canadian, I uh, often uh, am amused with the vicious political debates I see on Facebook. And so I think uh, your ideas, Bob, are, would really help make those discussions a little more civil. <laughs> That's for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, this one sounds interesting. Eight key words that will practically always move a person to your side of an issue. Now, again, <laughs> I want to use this on my wife, but uh, lots of <laughs> tell me, what are these eight key words? <laughs> well, this, this first assumes that during the conversation with this person, uh, let's say it's a customer service person, let's say you're trying to... Uh, uh, I don't know whether it's returning something or like, it could be, it could be many things, but it's something that the other person does not have to do. It's a choice for them. Um, and you've in this conversation, you have been, you know, from the onset, you have been polite and you've been courteous and you've been kind and you've, you've, you've considered their feelings. Okay. And then, you know, perhaps you've helped them see how they can go about doing this thing. And then the eight key words are this. If you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. Okay? If you can't do it, I'll definitely understand. What you've done is you've given this person the ultimate in respect by, sure, you're communicating that you believe they can and that you believe they want to, but you're letting them know that they, as a person, are more important than the event itself. You're giving them what I call the out or the back door which is an emotional escape hatch so they don't feel cornered in and pressured. 
And basically the law of the out says the bigger the out or back door you give someone to take, the less they'll feel the need to take it. So when you say, if you can't do it, I'll definitely understand, that's actually creating the environment for them to want to do for you as opposed to not. Now you can follow that up with a few seconds later by saying, if you could, I'd certainly appreciate it. Boom. And that just encouraged them and, and so forth. You could also follow up after that by saying, hey, don't get yourself in any trouble over it, which again, is just letting them know. But yeah, those eight keywords, again, 99 times out of 100, I mean, they'll get you out of everything from speeding tickets to, not that I want you to be speeding, don't, don't, <laughs> but it will, it will help you get the results you want when dealing with people who otherwise may not have been so inclined to, to take that extra step. Wow. I love it. I'm going to use those for sure. That's bad. You're bad, Tom. <laughs> now, uh, we're going to wrap up a little bit. We're coming to the close of our show. But uh, I wanted to ask you this one, Bob. And uh, it's the biggest issues of us have uh, to do with today's really, really busy world. How do you say no to requests in a way that's kind but effective? And do you really have an answer for that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it, it's, it's going to be the opposite of the way that many people have been taught. You hear some people say, They'll just advise, well, no is a complete sentence. And yeah, I don't necessarily agree with that because being rude to someone is not endearing them to you. It's closing off their friendship. It's closing them to future opportunities. And there's no reason to have to do that. Uh, It's the same when someone asked you, let's say someone asked you to serve on a committee, something you just don't want to do for whatever reason you don't want to. It's fine to say no, but I wouldn't just say no, you know, but I also wouldn't take this piece of advice. Some people say, well, just say, I would, but I don't have the time. The problem there is it's not that you don't have the time. It's that you don't have the desire to do it. You don't value doing it as much as you value not doing it. So you're kind of fibbing, which never feels good. But the other thing is that person is going to probably have an answer for it. And when they explain to you how time is not going to be an issue, now you either have to uh, explain that you really just don't want to. And so now they're going to be a little bit mad, which, you know, you can't really blame them and you're going to feel yucky. Or in order to save face, you've now got to do the thing you don't want to do. And that's also, I don't (laughs) think, a good option. I'm not about being self-sacrificial. Okay. So, so no, you can say no in a way that shows them ultimate respect and respects your boundaries and, and leaves the door open for other things and makes them feel good about themselves. It's simply this. You say, thank you so much. While it's not something I'd like to do, please know how absolutely honored I am to have been asked. Wow. Okay. That's, that's powerful. Because you haven't made an excuse. You haven't given them something to hang their hat, you know, to hold on to, to answer. You're basically just saying that the answer's no, and that it's not something you're willing to consider, but that I, so I'm honoring you. I appreciate the very fact that you asked. I feel honored by it. And the fact is by doing it, you have honored that other person. Wow. Wow. They end up feeling good when you say no. Bob, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on today's show. Uh, Everybody who's listening, please go to thegogiver.com and pick up the latest book or all uh, all four in the series. Bob, I'm amazed you've done all four. It's a labor of love, right? Yeah, well, I have an unbelievable co-author, John David Mann, who's really the lead writer and storyteller. And I got to tell you, I'm just honored to, to have a chance to work with him on these, these books. I learn so much every time. When does the new it one is, come out? Uh, April 10th. 
the Go-Giver Influencer. And we're very, very excited about that one. No. Yes, uh, pick up all the books in the series. There's The Go-Giver, uh, Go-Giver Sell More, and The Go-Giver Leader, and the one coming out April 10th, The Go-Giver Influencer. And Bob, thank you. I feel incredibly blessed that we we met in 2013, all three of us personally. Yes, and uh, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to add to uh, uh, our guests uh, before we leave? Uh, I just want to say thank you to you both. I have so much respect uh, for both of you. It's just an honor to, you know, to even be on your show. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, anyways, Tom, you want to take us away here on uh, Journeys to Success Mm -hmm. Radio? Thank you so much, Bob. Everybody, thegogiver.com. As Brad said, buy all the books in the series. And then when the Go-Giver Influencer comes out, make sure to have that. And you'll already have a good feel for the style of their stories and their, and their writing. So thanks so much, Bob. Have an amazing day. And we'll see you, as Zig Ziglar would say, at the top. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Journey to Success Radio. If you or anyone you know would like to be interviewed for the show, email Tom at tom for details.